Hey everyone, welcome to episode 59 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Ginny Wu. Hey, how's it going? And Andrew Brown. Hello, I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> aren't we all? Uh, and welcome to our first show of 2019. Happy New Year! Yay! Uh, Ginny, how was Japan? Um, it was good. I left social media and deleted all my work emails and all my work-related things off my phone. Um, we noticed. <laughs> for like three, pretty much three weeks that I was there. Um, and then came back to a whole lot of stuff that I missed. So that was a not-so-good part, deleting all my social and my emails. But it was probably the first time I'd unplugged in like years. And it was good, I would say. But... Um, not the most convenient time to have a social media cleanse, but, um, hope you guys didn't miss me too much. <laughs> ah, well, she's back, and she's here to hit you with her lukewarm opinions. <laughs> lukewarm opinions? <laughs> yep, that's me, Ginny, lukewarm opinions were. There you go. Uh, so we weren't going to do a new segment, because this was uh, just going to be the big catch-up episode of everything we played while we've been off. Uh, however, a couple of things happened. Nintendo UK did release a Indies highlight. Mm. Uh, we won't go too much into detail, but was there anything particular there that, that took you fancy? Just Wargroove. You know, I've been talking about <laughs> that for two years. Heck yeah, I want that game. Wargroove, absolutely. Cool. For me, Forager looked interesting, but I did like the look of that uh, weird drumming metal game. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was cool. I can't remember what it was called. It escapes me. Uh, and Ginny? Um, Wargroove. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, have been, I, I have been looking forward to it since I learned about it, which was actually a lot more recently than two years. But that is one that stood out. So that's um, me and Andrew are synced up on this one. So that's the Advance Wars yes, style thing. Yes, it is, but with dogs. Cats would get me more interested, but yeah, I am definitely looking at this one. The only thing that puts me off is my own sense of time frame and all the stuff I've got in my backlog and all got that. It, so. yep. um, mm-hmm. And then the other news was, in an interesting way to announce that you're scrapping development or something, Nintendo released a video to their YouTube channel to announce that they were starting all over on Metroid Prime 4. Of course, we haven't seen anything of that since it was announced. Uh, they've removed the previous developers and put Retro Studios at the helm, who were the developers of the original Prime Trilogy. Uh, so that's interesting, but we're probably not going to see anything for that for a couple of years, I would suspect. That's about it for news, so uh, let's get into what we've been playing while we're off. There's probably going to be a bit of crossover in this one, so we'll just go through the list and pipe in when people have uh, played the same stuff. So let's start with the obvious one, which is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So I think both me and Andrew finished World of Light over the holidays. Ginny, did you get to finish that? No, I have not finished it. Um, I'm still struggling my way through a lot of it. <laughs> it does get tricky in spots. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I am enjoying it. Like, It's not like the kind of struggle that then maybe want to just like not play it. It's always just a matter of like finding the right spirit to deal with the problem and training it up and being sure that you actually know what you're doing. Like it's forced me to learn how a lot of characters work, which has been useful because I used to be like a 
I pick like two characters per Smash game. I play only those two and literally not do anything else ever. But this has been a really good exercise for me in diversifying and figuring out more about my own playstyle. So it, it's hurt, but like a good kind of hurt, you know, <laughs> like a humbling kind of hurt. <laughs> I have to admit, I did sort of drop it as soon as I finished World of Light uh, to to play other stuff. But okay. I do want to go back and play through the classic mode mm-hmm. with with every character and everything. I just want to say, like, after completing it, that this is hands down the best single-player fighting game I've ever played. This is the best single-player campaign. World of Light was utterly fantastic, and although I had an interest in it, I didn't realise how good it was going to be until I got right into it. Uh, Andrew, what did you make of it when you finished it? Well, unlike Ginny, I'm not doing much diversity here. I I beat about half of it with Little Mac until I unlocked Cloud, then I beat the rest of the game with Cloud. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked a lot about it's difficulty, and actually the difficulty kind of goes away, at least it did for me after a while, even though I uh, I was playing on hard difficulty. I think you both guys were just playing yep. it on normal. And it was still challenging in spots. Once I unlocked the gym, that lets you train up your spirits just by leaving them in the gym for a couple hours. You know, I did that with a couple of my four-star spirits, and basically after that, the challenge didn't go away but it did get a lot easier and not to the point where I was having to beat my face against a particular spirit for half an hour to an hour to beat it you know just a few tries to get it down even even the really really hard spirits that I was like I don't even understand how (laughs) this is possible (laughs) once you have a level 99 four star spirit like uh, I since I was playing as Cloud, I used uh, a level 99 card Spirit. Since he has three slots on him, and I could put the Celebi Spirit on him, so that way I could get health regen every few seconds. And then he also increases sword damage. Yeah, Cloud basically became a killing machine nice. at that point. Yeah, Ce- Celebi, when you get uh, that Pokemon Spirit, is like game-changing especially for some of those really hard ones. The only one that I really, really struggled on for ages was Guile. The Guile Spirit. That was oh, God. insanely oh. difficult. But I got there eventually through the skin of my teeth, but it was only thanks to one of those regen cards, of which is only two in the whole adventure, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guile, I think, was the spirit I was stuck on longest. I was... <laughs> Andy saw me. I was not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, was on I, I tried fight. to help. I, was just like, I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I've done pretty much everything in Smash Brothers now. I'm kind of surprised. I, uh, I'm i not even at 100 hours yet played on it. But the only things I have left to do in it now in terms of like the challenge page, I, I finished all of the challenges except for the online ones. And then I need to get all of the spirits unlocked, of course, which I'm still a couple hundred short on that one. But I'm a little disappointed because uh, pretty much I, I finished World of Light and I started picking off the rest of the challenges that you have to do in versus mode. And that only took me a couple hours to do those. And I was <laughs> like, so this is it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how fast i fell off of smash brothers uh i still like it don't get me wrong i still think it's a very good game but i I fell off it really fast uh i i just stuck with it because i had already recorded it but i i think it actually was not in my top three game of the years last year i think hyrule warriors Mm. would have been my number three if i had 
had a chance to re-record mm. my stuff. Um, the one thing I will say is I have a prediction that we'll get another single-player mode as DLC. Uh, just from the menu structure, it sort of goes from you go into like spirits, then adventure, and then it's World of Light. I feel like that structure opens them up to provide another mm-hmm. campaign later down the line. Um, but yeah, I dropped it too as soon as World of Light was done. Uh, and the game I dropped it for was Wasteland 2, which was uh, an interesting game. Uh, I had played a lot of it on PS4 previously. I said before I deleted it as soon as I knew the Switch one was coming. Uh, in some ways, I kind of wish I'd just stuck with the PS4 version uh, for system Ooh. stability reasons. So, like, the gameplay and everything is fine. It runs fine, except that it will just crash randomly heaps of times during load screens. Now, they just released a patch to fix that. But I'd already finished it. Too late. Don't care anymore. Um, <laughs> it was like I as soon, when it started happening, which was probably about a third of the way in. I googled and I found some forum threads where they were like, "Yeah, they've said they're going to patch it pretty soon," and I, and that was like the week after launch. The patch didn't come till New Year, uh, which is just not really good enough. Uh, so yeah, but I, I stuck with it through all these crashes and I beat it. Uh, so. It, as I, I said before, when when I first played it, uh, it's basically top-down Fallout. It's old-school Fallout. It's it's sort of a bit like D and D combat-wise, uh, and it's it's really tough going at places. There's a, a really harsh difficulty spike uh, in the second half of the game, uh, but the the thing that I really take away from it is how inconsistent the writing is. Like, a, there's a lot of attempts at humor here, and it just falls so flat. It's untrue. Like, some the the writing is terrible. Uh, a lot of the jokes are basically just resort to, look, here's a thing you know of. So, like, you'll find loot, and it's a, a VHS of some crappy film from the eighties, or you'll find a, a statue, and it's a Vectrex. Uh, and I think a large part of this is I was reading reading up on it is because it was a crowdfunded game and a lot of the reward tiers were for people to suggest stuff to go in. And I think that's where a lot of that came from and it kind of hampered their, the team's own creativity, which is a real shame. Uh, but on a mechanical level, I did really enjoy it and I, I'm mm. glad I've finally beaten it. I just kind of wish I'd carried on with the PS4 version just to avoid those stupid crashes. Um... I thought Wasteland 2 was a lot older than that. Uh, no, a couple of years. Maybe mm. four years old. I so. thought it was like a mid-90s game. No. One of those classic PC games that I never got around to playing. Yeah, well, that's what it was billed at as, uh, hey, look, it's a return to old-school Fallout style. Wasteland was a really, really old game well before Fallout. Fallout was I knew, the spirit. I knew that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just just fell a little short. I'm, I'm sort of glad I saw it through, but yeah, that was that one. Uh, now, do you two remember when Super Mario Party yes. came out and I had no interest? <laughs> yes. Uh, I am a convert. Ooh, uh, what happened? What changed your mind? So, one of the things we do every year at New Year is me and the wife, we play some board games together. And she mentioned we should try something different. And I was like, you know what? I'll combine my love of video games with our yearly tradition of board games and i decided to pick it up and see what it's like and that is one fun game Mm. as long as you're playing it with other people uh so 
and everyone knows what it is now. It's a board game. You take, you do the dice rolls. You try and get the coins and the stars. And in between every round, you get a mini game where you can try and get extra coins to buy power ups or use it as your secondary win factor in the event of a in the event of a tie. Uh, and there's a there's a lot of content in there. There's there's the board game. There's like a a dance mode. There's mini games you can play them online i haven't looked into that of course there's a whole bunch of puzzles and extra things there's apparently a campaign hidden in there somewhere i haven't quite got there yet um and yeah it's there's not much to say about it it is it's a mario board game uh but uh yeah so i recommend that if you've got people to play it with it's definitely fun to sort of bring it out at you know, like holidays and stuff, and I think that's going to be a new yearly tradition for us. Cool. So, yeah. Looks good. Yeah, now let's move on to something one of you guys played. Uh, looking down the list, Andrew, you played Firewatch. Is that the first time? My first time through Firewatch, Ooh. yeah. Firewatch is something. <laughs> a narrative adventure game slash walking simulator, if you must, where... Uh, <laughs> You play as a guy who, for very personal reasons of his own, signs up to go out and sit in a national park in a like a, a tower and just keep a, uh, an eye out for forest fires. And it takes place in the late 80s, right after a really serious rash of forest fires that we had in the U.S. back then. And he gets wrapped up in all kinds of things that are happening around him, and he develops this relationship with this woman who is his partner, who has a tower on the other side of the valley from him, but you never actually meet her, and you never actually meet anybody, which is kind of the big selling point of this game, is all the stories happening through radio conversations. So you are kind of led to believe... You know, wondering if anything that's happening is is really happening, but it, it writes itself after a while. It it goes off in this little supernatural bent for a little while, but uh, then it it goes. Actually, no, there's an explanation for all of this, which I was very relieved by because I was <laughs> like, oh, if this turns into the X Files, then I'm gonna be pretty sad. But this was a, a big deal when it first came out. Uh, it got a lot of people talking for how it was written and the performances from the two main actors that are in it, but I wasn't that hot on it. There was a, a, a few points in this where I was like, oh, a guy wrote this, didn't he? And yeah, <laughs> a, a guy wrote this. <laughs> it's actually from one of the writers of The Walking Dead Season 1, which is you know an incredible piece of writing, but... Uh, it didn't hit the same strokes for me on this one. I, I enjoyed it, but I found it mostly forgettable. It was okay. That was a glowing uh, review. <laughs> 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 um, I played Firewatch a long time ago. Well, by long time ago, I mean relatively, I guess, long in the lifespan of a of a game slash a game's release. Um. Two years was so long ago. It feels like an eternity. Um, but yeah, 
Um, I was one of the people that was really, really, really sold on it. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because I just hadn't experienced a game like Firewatch that really grabbed me at that stage. Mm. Um, but I think fast forwarding two years into now, when I think recently we've had a bit of a resurgence in, in narrative games and even games like Oxenfree, for example, and games of like Night in the Woods, which apply the same sort of, I would say, narrative heavy bent, but in a more hands-on participatory way for people that are playing or engaging with it. I think that it's hard to look back at stuff that I thought was like sort of the pinnacle when I played it and then go, you know what? It was good, but we've, we've kind of come a little bit further away from that style um, of storytelling now. And I, yeah, that's basically why I didn't rebuy it. Um, I'm someone that rebuys games that I loved um, on other platforms when they come out on the Switch because I'm that kind of person and I love wasting money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Firewatch. I like just having an them. excuse to replay them. So. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I really liked it. So I played it on PS4. Um, when I played it on PS4, uh, my wife Michelle was just sort of playing something next to me and then just sort of stopped just to watch the whole thing i think it's only like four hours long or something um my only issue with it was i felt that the ending was a little underwhelming and not what they built it up to be but then also i kind of like that so yeah it's a good game Uh, i think people should check it out it's certainly interesting whether you you come away with you know rapturous opinion on it or you're a bit lukewarm I i can understand people being a little lukewarm on it um okay Ginny fairy fencer f what the f is this on the complete other side of firewatch um but also a game that starts with f i was playing fairy fencer f um which is uh very anime so i know that andrew's gonna hate it and i don't think that andy will be that into it either um you're basically um a dude and your name is fang and you've got really, really emo hair. And everyone knows how this goes. You're, like, really lazy and incompetent. But you have a bunch of strong, powerful women that are also weapons <laughs> that are really good at their jobs. And they help you do things. And you fence. And you fight other people and stop the destruction of the world, basically. Um, so, yeah, typical anime plot. Typical anime nonsense. Um, this sounds like a Joss Whedon plot. <laughs> Um, that actually, um, it, this plot may surpass the narrative storytelling in Joss Whedon's dollhouse. So it's actually not that bad. (laughs) High bar to clear there. (laughs) Um, yeah, there's, uh, it, it is, it kind of feels like the same sort of lightheartedness, um, that you may be used to if you've played like the hyper dimension Neptunia games. Like, I don't mean the same kind of crass humor. I just sort of mean, like, the, the overall incredibly colorful aesthetic, the way that your characters uh, are sort of almost free action, um, free action combat, free action turn-based combat. So, like, if you've played Lost Dimension on the PC or the PS4, it's kind of like that. You have your own turn. You can run around and use your movement as far as, like, during that turn and attack during that turn, and the enemies then react. But there's no grid-based anything. There's no sort of real defensive no real use defensive strategy here it's just 
in the in the combat sense, very I, I wouldn't say simplistic, but it is very typical JRPG. It is very kind of typical um, IDFX tree style esque kind of game, and it's good, mindless fun. I really enjoyed it. I um, am a sucker for anime games like this, as you guys already know. And this, um, I would say, notably was released in 2013 originally, so it is a port, um, and it does perform like a Switch port of a PlayStation 4 game. So performance-wise, that just means that if you are going into this game expecting sort of like a flawless frame rate performance and like, you know, graphic fidelity that you would get on the PlayStation 4, please don't expect those things. Um, it's definitely just support, so manage your expectations, but it's got a light-hearted plot, um, easy to master combat that is incredibly fun, and just something that you don't really have to think about, I guess. If you like a game that's just kind of cute, kind of there, and it does everything that it has to do serviceably, it's not too pricey, I would check it out. Next up, uh, Andrew, you've been playing Donut County. This is one that I've been really interested in, but I haven't picked it up yet. Yes, Donut County uh, is half kind of a narrative adventure game and half a strange sort of physics puzzle game. Uh, You play as this young woman who, at the start of the story, is living in a cave at the bottom of a pit with all the other people who used to live in a town at the top of the pit, and they're very mad at their raccoon friend for basically uh, using giant holes to sink the entire town down into this pit so he could win uh, a helicopter drone, basically. (laughs) The story's pretty fun, but the actual levels themselves are flashbacks to the process of that happening, where you actually play as the raccoon summoning these holes using a donut app to different locations when people order a donut they get one of these holes (laughs) instead and it starts swallowing up everything in the area and you know you start off as a tiny little hole you pick up all the little pebbles in the area and you start picking up bigger and bigger things Until finally you're swallowing entire mountains and houses. But there just there wasn't much there in terms of challenge or anything I really had to think about. It was just swallowing things in order from smallest to largest. And that was kind of the whole game. There is a, a weird final boss at the end, which is an actual boss fight. But that came too little too late for me. I was pretty disappointed with donut county actually that's a shame it's got uh, had rave reviews but so it's a bit of a reverse uh, katamari yeah i would say so yeah it's two hours and it's over and i've saw no reason to ever replay it and i I found it mostly forgettable (laughs) okay what about uh, zeo drifter zeo drifter is a really retro style game that has been on the Switch for a couple years now. I bought it on a sale. I don't remember when. And I just finally got around to playing it. It's sort of a mix between Metroid and Blaster Master. Maybe with a little Mega Man thrown in there. And you play as this little space guy who enters this system of four planets. And his 
the power source for his ship gets destroyed and he has to track down another one and that's that's the whole story and you go to one planet and you find an upgrade that'll let you find something on another planet and you do it all in order and it's a pretty hard game but it's not a very long one you can get through it in a couple hours uh but in terms of just a really short quality metroid style game if you're only paying a couple bucks for it yeah it's it's totally worth it i i had a good time with it nice and you gave me a good segue into one i've been playing uh which is the Mega Man legacy collection i've had my eye on this one for ages uh, and then i worked out that i had enough coins to buy it outright for free uh so that was good now i don't i'm not gonna spend too long I, i've only played a little bit of, of the first game in that collection um so the couple of things I want to talk about is, as you alluded to, is Zero Drifter. It's one of those retro games that's really hard. But this Switch version has a neat trick where you can actually rewind at any point. It's something they did with the uh, Disney collection a couple of months back. Um, and that Cheating. sort of completely does change the complexion of the game. And um, what I will say is, yes, it's cheating, I agree. But that game is hard, and I have no idea how I beat that as a child. So, <laughs> um, there is you can make the game a lot easier if you strategize the order in which you tackle the the levels. So, every time mm. you beat one of the enemy robots, you actually get his power that you can turn on at any point in subsequent levels. Uh, and I think the reason I stopped playing it was because I didn't think about that well enough, and I found myself stuck on one of the bosses. Uh, I forget which, so I kind of want to start it again and do it in what I think is the, the correct order. My memory was a little off on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy with it for free. Uh, the rewind feature makes it not a headache uh, and worthwhile for people who have only just played the modern Mega Man games to sort of get an idea of, of where it came from. Cool. So, uh, Ginny, Hyperlight Drifter. Yeah, so I talked about this briefly last year. Um, I picked it up during a really busy week. Um, I have played it before, but it wasn't one of the games that I'd actually been able to clock. And so my strategy for games that I haven't finished on other platforms is to buy them on the Switch and force myself to finish them. So that has worked historically over the length of us having this podcast. So I'm kind of hoping that that's what's going to happen here with Hyperlight Drifter. And so far... I've been going well, like I've progressed further than I have before in the, um, when I first bought it on PC. Um, and I've gone a lot further down the lore rabbit hole of this game, which by the way is immense. It is ridiculously immense. Like just something about playing it on the switch really grabbed me a second time. Maybe I'm just smarter than I was two years ago or um, more woke or more prone to reading too much into everything. Um, but whatever it was, um, the game has hooked me now. Um, and I will definitely comfortably attribute that to the fact that I'm playing it on the Switch um, and say that it is a great game. It kind of will remind you, I suppose, I don't want to say of... I don't want to say of Transistor stylistically per se, but you've got the whole like tragic sort of wandering lone hero with a companion um, zipping back and forth with this gigantic sword that you can't possibly carry, you know, working against an entrenched system 
of people trying to shoot you down and do awful things to you and there's sort of this dire ominous overhang of the structures of the world around you being oppressive for some vague reason that may be you know life-threatening to you and people that you care about so um there are some parallels there for me but it very sort of much looks like that game um i think it's i think it's fury it reminds me stylistically of that um sort of sorry aesthetically of that so if you like a kind of really pixely um sort of environmental storytelling heavy focus game with all manner of religious metaphor and artistic metaphor and just a convoluted cluster of things to pick apart um on reddit afterwards then you should play hyperlight drifter it handles incredibly well um i did find combat a bit difficult um but that's just because i'm uncoordinated so um story heavy sort of action rpg ish type game um i really enjoyed it i can highly recommend it um and i think i'm gonna finish it this time all thanks to the power of the switch huzzah you you two are excellent at segues today by the way (laughs) because talking of lore and picking apart and reading different things oh no this is dark souls remastered this is it you love it Uh, don't you new super mario brothers deluxe (laughs) we'll get onto that shortly Uh, the deepest lore ever the mario universe awaits so dark souls remastered uh, i got back onto that after i finished wasteland 2 and i have not looked back and i'm sorry to say but i'm now officially a dark souls bore it's all i think about it's all i talk about like honestly my colleagues who don't play games that often are sick to the back teeth of me talking about sif the great gray wolf um sorry guys well it's a good thing that we're not six years too late for this party <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and I'm I'm reading like now I'm reaching the end of the game. I'm reading everything I can about it. Uh, so just a couple of things I wanted to to talk about is it's famously difficult, yes, uh, but the rewarding nature of it. Andrew, you and me spoke on Twitter yesterday briefly about uh, Artius. Um, Artorius. Artorius. Artorius, the abyss. Sorry, yes, Artorius, <laughs> the the owner of Sif, the the great grey wolf. And his fight just summed up what I love so much about this game in that, like, I walk into the, the fight, he kills me, like, almost instantly, and it's like, this is absolutely impossible. Okay, this is the point where I've had enough. And then you go, okay, I'll just give it a few more goes. And then each time you just learn something new about the way he fights, and then in the end, he was just really easy. As soon as I learned, I could uh, sort of interrupt his his buffs. He was a cakewalk. Uh, and then it's just—it's it, all just about self-control and not trying to sneak that extra hidden, which is just something I have struggled through constantly. <laughs> yep. Basically, uh, yes. In that winning round, I'd very nearly undone it because I was trying to get the last hidden, uh, but survived, and I'm I'm super happy. Uh, he is probably not my favorite fight in the game. I know you said he was one of your favorites, Andrew. I think Sif. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. He's, still, he's very well designed. Yeah, I think Ziff is still my favorite, and also it's it's nice to see where Sif got some of his moves because you see some of those incorporated into Artorius's uh, repertoire. Um, the other thing is I want to say is this is my kind of multiplayer in that I don't really have to engage with it <laughs> if I want, and it's the the communal stuff. Like I I love the notes. Um, True story, I nearly fell for my own jump off this note when I went back to grind. Oh, <laughs> <Andy>. <laughs> Nearly. Very nearly. 
Um, but yeah, I just I just love the way how people help each other, like get through it and like warn people of like illusionary walls, traps, all that sort of stuff. Uh, now, bit of a weird argument that I had, I was musing over this. Um, I think it looks better than the PS4 version. Mm. And before you start uh, calling people to come and take care of me... <laughs> Explain yourself, yeah. sir. So, I booted up the PS4 version. Justify your position. <laughs> I booted up the PS4 version just to see how it handled. And like, I, I won't deny the PS4 is a lot more powerful. It runs at 60 frames per second. The uh-huh. textures are higher resolution. Mm-hmm. It is objectively smoother running on mm-hmm. the PS4. Mm-hmm. However, <sighs> those textures... Are still last gen gen textures. The sixty frames per second. It wasn't designed around that, and it gives it a zip that just feels a little off to me. Now I I can totally hold my hands up and say yes, that could be down to me just being used to the Switch version. But I think the Switch version not being quite as high definition helps sell the griminess of the game, like the whole area of the undead berg, everything's crumbling, it just seems to fit thematically better on the Switch, whereas on the PS4 it just it looks too clean. Uh, and it's just one little thing that I noticed. Now I will say I, I have played Bloodborne, I've played Dark Souls 2 on PS4 and I didn't have those problems, but I think obviously Bloodborne was developed for the PS4 and I think Dark Souls 2 had more work done for the PS4 version, I I just sort of feel this was a, a token port effort from them on the PS4, just in, and it was just focused on performance. So that's all. That that's my argument on that one. Agree? Mm. Disagree? I'm the wrong guy to ask about this because I don't even see this stuff a lot of yeah. the time. <laughs> I'm like, what are you even talking about? And well, that's the other thing. Like the 60 frames per second gives it zip. But the whole, for me, the whole combat is about the weight of the weapons, and right, I felt like right. the, the sixty frames per second sort of took that away from me. Interesting, and made it feel a bit more bloodborne-y, Whereas I really felt more like I was feeling the swing and having to time more effectively on the switch. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to mention was I've I've talked about this years ago on on Twitter, but there are some parallels here to the original Legend of Zelda game. Uh, something that uh, Eurogamer's Christian Donlan has written about more eloquently than I'm about to speak about it. <laughs> um, but basically, like, original Legend of Zelda, you're dropped in the world. No clue what to do. There's items hidden all over. You don't know where, where they are or a lot of the cases how to find them and you wouldn't know unless you were talking to other players. Again, that Nintendo designed the original Legend of Zelda as, as a water cooler game for people to share experiences like that, similar to how people do using the messaging system in Dark Souls. When you die in the Legend of Zelda, you always return back to that home square outside the old man's cave. You get to keep everything that you found along the way, much like when you die in Dark Souls and you return back to the last bonfire. Uh, except when you're in a dungeon where it returns you to the beginning of the dungeon, which is what I'm calling... Zelda's bonfire in this, this okay. analogy. Uh, so that it's just interesting to me that there's a lot of little little factoids like that. And I, I've read an interview with the designer where he actually said uh, A Link to the Past was his favourite game of all time. Uh, so I can... I, that 
that whole correlation kind of makes a little more sense to me, even though a link to the past was very, it was friendlier than the first game. But yeah, uh, Andrew, you finished it. How did you go with it? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had a lot of very mixed feelings about it. I did hate the humanity mechanic, though. I thought it added absolutely nothing to the game. And if I were to describe the full extent of everything that humanity does and everything that humanity affects, I would be talking for 10 minutes straight. So I'm not going to do that. Mm. But there were a few points where I was like, if I run out of humanity, I quit because I have absolutely no desire to go back and farm rats for however long it takes to get enough humanity to be able to try this again. But the beginning of the game, I really enjoyed. The ending of the game, I really enjoyed. The middle, I could not stand it. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people have talked about how hard this game is, and that really threw me for a loop because there were several times where I ran into situations where the game was telling me, you're not strong enough here, you need to go somewhere else and do stuff there for a while first, and then come back here. What I was reading from that, based on, you know, this game's entire marketing campaign, you will die, and I was thinking, oh, well, here's that hardness that people were talking about, I need to just keep trying this until I figure it out, when really... With as much as there's the get good, you know, philosophy about this game, if you're dying, it's your fault. I did not run into a single situation in this game that could not be solved by leaving for a few hours, fighting some enemies elsewhere that are a little bit weaker, and coming back and trying again. And especially in Honor Londo, mm, which was yeah. this, it, it's like the big midpoint of the game. And I got stranded there for hours because I got there earlier than I was really intended to be there for a first time playing through the game Mm. when you don't know what you're doing. And it was just miserable. I almost gave up. It was the only reason I didn't give up was because I was streaming it. And so I had people (laughs) watching me and encouraging me and finally giving me advice. Uh, But it was pretty dire for a while there. But a lot of the things in this game that people say how hard it is, I don't agree that it's hard. I think it's badly designed. Uh, Like Honor Londo, let me just go back there. Like all that nonsense of running along. Honor Londo, all that nonsense about running along around rooftops, which if this was any other game, I would look at that stuff and assume I couldn't run there. But no. In this game, yeah, you're absolutely supposed to run all along those tiny rooftops that look completely decorative. <laughs> and then you've got areas like Blight Town. I loved Blight Town. Which I loved it. Is a Blight Town is a platforming level in a game that does not have a jump button. <laughs> uh, it does. You just have to sprint first. It doesn't count. <laughs> anyway... At the end of the day, as a complete package, I did like Dark Souls. I would like to play the sequel if they ever put it on Switch. If they don't, I'll play it on PS4 someday. Uh, but I, there were many things about this game that I did not 
admire or enjoy or have any patience for. What I will say is the the difficulty is overplayed a lot. Yeah. It's just a lot, understanding a lot, a lot, it. A lot, a lot. And a lot of the time with this game, it's just learning how to cope with something no matter the way that you cope with it. Like, sometimes it is smart just to run away or run through. Sometimes, uh, you know, you, you have to use something to your advantage. There was a, a NPC called Havel. I, I, I completely cheesed the hell out of him to beat him. Um, you know, it's just about whatever means mm. you can find to get you through. Yeah. One thing I will say is, like, back to the online stuff, like, I've had tons of uh, positive experiences with this. So, like, I had someone invade me when I was on, on the interior of Analondo. And I was in the middle of fighting a silver knight for the first time, and I was just sort of trying to uh, figure out their attack patterns, and you know, it wasn't going too well initially. And then I got the invasion message, and I was like, oh, great, okay. Good timing, thanks, mate. And he just came in and stood at the side and let me finish. Uh, he even was cheering me on with an animation, possibly sarcastically. <laughs> um, and then he gave me time to heal before we got into it, and then he wiped the floor with me because he had a massive dragon tooth as a weapon or something mm. um the humanity thing that you talked about um i really haven't engaged with that uh i've just been using it to kindle fires and that's that's pretty much it uh well there were a you... few bosses that i needed to be reverse hollowed on just to get past them like ornstein and smog <laughs> yeah. i i needed solaire to beat that fight that's and fair. even then i could still barely get through it and that was the point where if I had run out of humanity on Ornstein and Smog, I would have walked away. That's fair. I think they actually put someone in that can sell you it. Uh, I read that as that was thing that was patched in after because people were complaining. Yeah, but I'd um, still have to go and farm souls to do it, in which I just I wouldn't do it. Yeah, what I do for that is I just find a little area, which ironically enough, Anolando. It has become one of my areas where I just do a run through and I get heaps of souls just from going through and killing everything. But that's obviously after I've, you know, gone elsewhere further into the game and come back a lot more powerful. On Orlando, it got to the point with me where when I was redirected there at various points throughout the game, I was audibly angry. I was like, no, not on Orlando again. No, anything but that. I kind of loved Analando, especially like on a de- like a design contrast, mm, yeah. Um, which of which there's thematic and story reasons for that, um, which I, I won't go into. Um, one thing I will say is I love the way that the world is designed. It's like I don't know if anyone here has read the Discworld books, but it's exactly how uh, Ankh-Morpork is desi- uh, described as like a city just built on top of a city, built on top of a city, built on top of a city, and everything feels like it's connected with the exception of an Orlando, which is again, for thematic reasons. Um, and yeah, so I'll just finish off with this one. Um, so I, I did write a thing about my favourite incidental multiplayer element. You can read that on my seldom used personal website, which is criticalodyssey.com. Please check that out if that's something you're interested in. The number puzzle. I assume the capitals are warranted. That's how they spelled it? Um, <laughs> I, I guess it's the definitive number puzzle. The one and only number puzzle uh, the one for the Switch. Uh, since um, it has the telltale sign of being translated <laughs> by people who don't 
have a very strong grasp on grammatical English. Uh, like the all the apostrophes are actually tildes. So <laughs> beautiful. Sounds it, like it, a game it, that would make me want to tear my eyes yeah. out. Yeah, it's possible that um, they just didn't have a very strong grasp on the language, and that's fine. Uh, this is a whole smattering of dozens and dozens and dozens of Sudoku puzzles, and it's Sudoku. Okay. I haven't run into Great. a puzzle yet that can't be solved, so <laughs> the, the main <laughs> problem that I've had with it is, uh, you, you know, how often when you're playing Sudoku, you want to fill in, like, maybe numbers. Like, maybe this could be here, maybe it's not. You need nine sections in each entry form for maybe numbers, but the number puzzle caps you at four. So that's the main obstacle I've run into is there are, are often times that I can't fill in a maybe number because I've already filled in too many other maybe numbers. So I, I have to keep it all in my head on what may or may not be there. But if you're looking for a Sudoku puzzle and if you really want it to be on Switch and not in just a a pad of paper, which is definitely the way I prefer to do it. Uh, the, this exists, and it's Sudoku. It works. It's fine. <laughs> there you go. There's your review. Yeah. It exists. It works. This Love is it. fine. <laughs> Get that on the box up. Um, okay, Ginny, you've returned to a couple of older games. Yeah. Uh, Mario Tennis yep. Aces. <laughs> What did you have to say about that one? Um, I stopped playing that game because I realized that while I played years of tennis in real life, none of that skill translated over to Mario Tennis Aces. Like, it may just be... You mean you can't backflip into a ball to return the volley? Like, you mean I'm, I'm, I'm not a piranha plant? Like, I'm just, I'm just clearly was just incompetent. If anything, I think my real life expectations may be worse at this game <laughs> so i never clocked the single player campaign like um i think we discussed it one week and i was like yeah like you know it's going all right it's going okay <laughs> two nights later <laughs> narrator's voice it was not going okay like i was just losing the plot it was not going okay yeah i had to like stop just out of like sheer rage and like self-loathing i stopped because my brother who um, did not play any tennis while he was growing up, breezed with single player. And when I told him I was struggling, he was like, oh, but it's, it's so easy. And that's when I shelved the game what? for months. <laughs> I was going to say, I quit after two days too. <laughs> now, I came very close to quitting it. Um, Which... But then, you know what? I, I don't think it's that difficult. I just think it sucks at teaching you how to play yeah. this version of Mario yeah. Tennis. Um, Who is it? dumb ship level with the mast in the middle the ball keeps bouncing oh my off of yeah. that, God, that, that, one. That, that was nearly my quitting point but there, there was a trick to that um, and indeed every encounter there is a trick of and it's basically where you're meant to hit the ball yeah. so if, if something's not working just try a different type of shot is my advice on that one um, I did have that but I did beat it and once I had figured out like the stuff I could do to get around this stuff it was easier. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say as well, like I, I couldn't get the ten tennis mentality out of my head. I kept trying to beat them. Mm, same. Uh, mm. Especially like some of the boss characters, where really you can just break their racket, mm. and it's you know it's a victory, but it's hard to get out of that mindset because I kind of just wanted it to be 
tennis with Mario characters. Yeah, I hundred percent feel that because I was just like, yeah, you know what? We'll just have like a friendly rally going. I'll strategically have some like dip shots, some long shots. You know, like I'm playing normal tennis, and then the opponent's like, actually, I have ten trick shots to the face. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's nice. This is terrible. I, and you know what? It's it's Toad who's meant to yes, be your, oh your best God. bloody yes. bud yes. in this game who sets the tone he, for that where he's like, let's, know, let's have a friendly exactly. rally and then just <laughs> smashes the hell out of the, you. The very first um, time he was like, you know, Mario, let's practice. And I was like, cool. I've just had the tutorial. This is my first major world. I'm going to learn how to rally with Toad. It's going to be great. And I'm just... It's like you get in the ring with Toad and he becomes Dark Toad. <laughs> like he just <laughs> he just sends you to the Shadow Realm and then after you lose to him, because you have to win the rally to like continue from that point, every time you lose, he's like, Oh Mario, better luck next time and I'm like, You idiot. This is your fault that I am in this position. So anyway, needless to say, it was a very heated couple of weeks um, when I played Mario's <laughs> Ace, but now I'm finally done with the single player campaign, and I can confirm if you have been struggling, like Andy and myself were, literally just learn and try every single kind of unconventional shot possible. Do not try and play this game smart like you play against the human. Okay, don't use like. Um, Australian open tactics on this game. You cannot. It's gotta. It's it's gotta be. It's gotta be a bit mental. So I'd recommend if you have trouble with it and you feel like you've got the patience to revisit it, do it with our strats. But it was not easy. I had to beat it as a point of pride. And now that I've done it, I'm drained. <laughs> and they have uh, added a patch into it since the three of us played it over the summer, mm. where losing in a story mode match no longer kicks you back to the world map it just lets you retry oh, thank gosh that was, oh, thank gosh. That was, that was one of my yes. complaints i had when i first played yeah it. hearing that dialogue that condescending dialogue from toad each time i got just... yeah every single time <sighs> anyway so it certainly didn't help Ginny with a hatred of no. toad that she developed over the course of last no, year no i did it it's, it was um, stoke the flames you should say <laughs> You also went back to Breath of the Wild Master yeah, Mode. Yeah, I, I did. So finally finished a Master Mode playthrough. I don't know what took me so long. It wasn't that I was even particularly struggling with the game. I think it, that would have been the fifth time I played through the game already since I guess it came out. And I think I just kind of just burned out on Breath of the Wild. But I got there in the end, uh, clocked it, and now I just kind of want another game like Breath of the Wild. All it really did was just make me yes. miss it. Like, just the feeling of... Playing Master Mode and, I guess, experiencing everything the first time with a little bit more gravitas slash weight just made me want another game that I can experience for the first time that made me feel the way I felt when, like, you ran up the little hill and then the game opens out and then you just see the plateau, you hear the music, and then it pans back to Lake and you see the waving grass and the breeze and all these, like, faraway landmarks and you know that you're going to spend the next 200 hours exploring but you're going to be okay with it? I missed that feeling. All it did was maybe want another Breath of the Wild game-esque game. So please, yes. someone give that to me. That's Thank fair. you. <laughs> I still need to go back to the DLC. I just can't find time and narrow Dark Souls consumes my life. <laughs> the last thing I was going to talk about was uh, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. I think I'm the only one that picked this yes. up. Am I? Yeah. Sorry. That game's uh, gonna be a big nope for me. That's that's fair, and I get why. But it's um, it's just more B-tier Nintendo platforming, and that's fine. Uh, it that that's the way I describe the game. It's absolutely fine. 
It's not. Um, Nintendo should not have a B tier. It's unacceptable. Uh, no, they're, they're important. They're, 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 again, this is part of it. I think they need this in between the big hitters. It's just, you know, like you think of Mario, you think of 2D platforming because of that. that's its heritage. And this just serves that purpose. Um, it's the same reason why I'm still happy to receive top-down Zeldas or traditional Zeldas and Breath of the Wild-style Zeldas. It just serves all the purposes for all the fans. Um, as a package, it's good value for money. You get both uh, the Mario campaign and the Super Luigi U campaign, which is quite the challenge from my memory on on the Wii U version. Um, and I think it's unfair to say that the game's completely unimaginative. I think the first half does definitely fall into that category because it plays it safe. It does the things you expect a Mario 2D platformer to do. But then it's in the second half where they get really creative with some of the stuff. Um, there's, it's it's basically flashes of Nintendo's best, but it's not an essential purchase if, you, if you're not in the market for this sort of game. Um, but the Dancing Coopers are an absolute delight. They there's a level or a couple of levels where they all just react to the music and they do this little arm swing and it's adorable and I'm I'm it's worth the asking price just for that alone. In my and opinion. how is Bowsette? Uh, I haven't tried it yet. I've just been going through as Mario because I'm boring. Uh, but I will try it. No, Bowsette's not in there. <laughs> you threw me. I was thinking of Toadettes. Damn you. I'm just sitting over here blinking as like <laughs> Yeah. I was like, okay, boy. Alright. This is a PG I was, podcast. I was, <laughs> I was thinking of Toda and yes, I have seen all that fan art and yeah. <laughs> uh, fan art, yeah, what we're calling it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Andrew, I think we're just left with a couple of things from you. So Mummy Demastered, I believe you returned to that. Yeah, this was one of the first games I talked about on the podcast, I think. And it's a Metroid-style adventure game, but with machine guns. Uh, it's based on the now-failed Dark Universe Mummy movie that was supposed <laughs> to kick off the Dark Universe, but uh, somehow can make half a mi- half a billion dollars, and still that's not enough money. I that's a that's a different issue entirely. But uh, I bailed on this. Back in 2017, because I got to the very end of the game and I got myself into a situation that I could not get out of because this game does use a Souls-style system where if you die, you have to fight your way back to your corpse. But it's actually particularly brutal because when you die, you actually lose everything except for your basic pea shooter gun and all of your health packs. So it's... Sort of like if you died in the last area of Metroid and you had to get back to where you died using a single energy tank and the level one gun. You just, you could not do it. Uh, But I just wanted to revisit it here and I got through it in a single day. It's not very long. Uh, I got through it in four or five hours. Maybe it was only three to four hours. And I just didn't have the same problem here. Probably because I took a slower time getting through it and I made sure I thoroughly explored every area and found all the upgrades whereas I think when I played it back in 2017 I was just focused on just getting to the boss and beating it so I was a little underpowered when I got to the end of the game but I really enjoyed it this time around it's 
from way forward technologies they make the shantae games mm-hmm. and they make a lot of other licensed games uh like until alien isolation came out they had the reputation for having the best alien game ever made uh they're a pretty good company they make solid platformers that usually hold up and i would say back in 2017 that this is not one of them but now uh yeah i enjoyed the mummy demastered it's got really good music and it isn't all that long which is becoming a big selling point for me i would would not have ever believed that but now (laughs) when i see a game i can beat in four or five hours heck yeah give it to me (laughs) let me play that thing uh yeah, I'm exactly the same. I was looking at Onimusha Warlords just just for that fact alone that I saw yeah. it can be just five hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. That's on my list of things to pick up this year. We'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> uh, nice. uh, and Quarantine Circular? Quarantine Circular is the sequel to Subsurface Circular, which Ginny and I both played Love. last year. We both really and, enjoyed it. And me. And me. <laughs> oh, you played it too? Yeah, you did. I liked you played it. it too. I think... Did do you like it, Andy? I think you did. I did. I did really like it. I thought yeah. it did some interesting stuff, um, but without any, without showing you any of the actual consequences, it just yeah. made you think about the consequences. Yeah. Subsurface circular. We all three liked it. Quarantine circular. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was as good as subsurface circular. It wasn't as focused. It has a lot to do with, as you might imagine, with quarantine circles because you find out at the start that there's an alien being held in a quarantine circle on this ship and you gotta go out and talk to him so that way you can get the translator microbes working so that way everybody can talk to him and then from there you find out more and more about all these quarantine circles that are happening everywhere at various places and you actually switch between characters a lot which is kind of the point of the game because it's about communication but that also raises problems where where you're playing as one character and suddenly your motivations have switched to this other character's motivations which might not necessarily jive with the motivations that you as the player have and also there are situations where a character will have access to information they shouldn't have access to because they weren't there to hear that but you as the player were there to hear that so you do know that that's going on there are complicated game design problems like that that are just a natural result of how many characters are in this. And it builds up to the same kind of idea at the end of Subsurface Circular, where there's this decision that you have to make that's going to make this big change in the world. And this decision I did not agonize over as much as I did in Subsurface Circular. (laughs) Maybe this is just me from my morality, where I'm coming at from in this situation but there was only one choice here for me whereas in subsurface circular i was like i can see the benefits and the downsides of both of the situations that i'm presented with here so quarantine circular i enjoyed it i think it's a cool addition to this mike bithel shorts project that this mike bithel guy is working on uh, but it's not on the level of subsurface circular enough i am interested in checking that one out uh sorry a couple of games i did miss off the list here uh towerfall yeah so anyone else here played towerfall before (laughs) no i I looked at it realized that it was multiplayer yeah it's it's multiplayer so once again me with the flatmates 
um, by adding the <laughs> multiplayer bullet. Um, but no, I played it on PS4 and I loved it. It's like a it's like a party game that me and my mates play. Like we get a little bit tanked, um, and we play Tower Fall, which is basically a game where you try and end each other um, as like medieval warriors. The Switch one has the added advantage of um, battling from Celeste in it. Um, and as a playable character, and it's just really, really fun. Oh man! You just kind of like jump <laughs> uh. around on platforms, and you in different sort of you know medieval settings. You run around on platforms, and you throw stuff at your mates, and you chuck daggers and arrows, and everything bounces over with everything else, and everything kind of interacts with everything else in the world. Then you can sort of nail some really, really ridiculous trick shots of walls to snipe your mates in the head, and so on and so forth. Like just complete sort of like bite-sized party game fun. Um, and yeah, that's really all it's good for. So <laughs> if you are someone that is living at home alone or your mates are not people that will play games like that with you, Tower will be a huge waste of your money. But um, it's up to six-player co-op on the Switch version, which is pretty, pretty great. Um, the widescreen levels are also really great. Um, when I first played it on PS4 years ago, I don't think it had that stuff optimized properly, but... Um, I loved it, um, and I love multiplayer stuff normally, that's my shtick, so if you want a fun, wacky, multiplayer sniping game, then pick up Towerfall, I can recommend it. Nice, and yeah, I nearly uh, stopped Andrew from talking about one of his favourite games of all time, Diablo 3, <laughs> The Darkening of Tristam. Of course I'm still playing that, I'm probably going to be playing that continuously for the foreseeable future because with the rotating season mode that's in it uh that gives me something new to do every few months and then also i i do want to slowly over time play through the campaign with every character class but i've only done it with the necromancer and with the demon hunter so far but the big event this month in january was the darkening of tristram which is the big diablo anniversary event where you can enter this portal in one of the first areas of the game and it takes you to basically the time period that the very first Diablo was played in and it puts this really funky like pixelated overlay over the entire game so it makes it look a lot older than it is and the whole game runs in 30 FPS which you can really notice because mm-hmm. the rest of the game runs at 60 FPS so you really <laughs> see that difference there and it, you just run down through this 16 floor dungeon which doesn't take as long as it sounds like it would and fight a bunch of bosses along the way uh, I think you really have to have played the original Diablo 1 to get the most out of this because it's all references to things that are happening there and if you weren't around for Diablo 1 you might not understand why all the enemies in this area drop magic armor that's basically worthless called godly plate of whale that's it's a joke from diablo one where that was the armor everybody wanted to have because it was Mm. the best armor you could get but here it's kind of disconnected and i think a lot of the people who are going to be playing this mode probably weren't even alive when diablo one came out so uh (laughs) but i think it's now ended so that's unfortunate but uh if it hasn't and this episode has gotten out and it still hasn't ended then you can play through it and you can get a transmog a new headpiece that'll let you walk around with a piece of Diablo's soul shard shoved into your head that's a Diablo 2 reference (laughs) Uh, and there's optional pets you can unlock and you can get Wurt's leg as a weapon that you can unlock and 
it's just a lot of fan service, basically, for the big Diablo fans. And it's just a quick, fun thing to do that adds something new to do to the game. It's it's available every January. It has been for the past couple of years. So if you missed it this year, just catch it next year and try to have a good time with it and learn a little bit about Diablo history. It's a good PC game. Okay, folks, what are we playing this coming week? I am going to be playing Wargroove. Um... <laughs> What's that? Um, Tales of Vesperia um, and Dragon March for Death, um, which is a side-scrolling action game, um, which kind of, um, really, obviously, from the name alone, you can tell it's more of the anime aesthetic that I love, um, releasing in two editions um, on mm. the Switch. Yeah, that really concerned me when I saw that on the eShop. I was like, why are you selling the it's, same game yeah, twice? So the, <laughs> as, so the deal with the eShop thing is anyone else has been has seen the announcement recently about seeing coming out things that looks interesting. So the two versions they contain two they contain two different pairs of classes. So there's the frontline fighters, the easier yeah. fighters, and then the advanced pack is obviously the slightly more difficult range fighters. Um, whichever pack you purchase, you can then buy the class from the other two as DLC, but you can't own both full games on one system so just keep that in mind (laughs) (laughs) interesting oh you can just buy the physical version which apparently has both games in it it's all so very unnecessarily yeah it is a little bit convoluted but i'll be checking out the advanced (laughs) version um and i'll let you guys know how that goes so yeah pretty choco week cool andrew tales of vesperia i've already played about 30 hours of that uh, Tangle Deep is a new dungeon crawler coming out next week, which we actually got codes from the developer for that. Um, ours, uh, our Australian ones don't work yet, annoyingly, but uh, they will soon. So I'll let you know how I go. <laughs> the North American yeah. one works fine, and uh, cool. it's good. <laughs> uh, Feudal Alloy is a steampunk adventure platformer, which I will probably have finished by nice. our next recording. Uh, Smugglecraft is a game that I picked up for three bucks that was 11 gigabytes. I was just fascinated why this game was 11 gigabytes. That's <laughs> the only reason I got it. Uh, and, of course, Wargroove. Yeah. Probably going to be my game of the year 2019. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I'm nearly done with Dark Souls. I, I'm just sort of tackling the DLC stuff before I go on to the final boss. Um, I'm going to get through the rest of New Super Mario Bros. Deluxe, and then I'm going to hit one of the RPGs in my backlog, which I haven't decided it's probably going to be Valkyria Chronicles 4, um, but I do really, really, really want to play Tales of Vesperia, um, so it's just going to come down to my desire, uh, um, which one I want to play most. Um, I did talk about also going into Diablo 3, because I'm kind of into the grimdark medieval thing at the mm. moment, uh, so yeah, it's all just going to come down to how I feel on the day, I think. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'll also be playing Tangled Groove when that when that code finally kicks in. So, yeah, Tangled, Tangled Groove. Yeah, Tangled Deep. <laughs> and, I, and I'm also going to be, and I'm also going to be playing Tangled Deep once that code finally works.
Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Yay. Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server uh, to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, and you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And he also streams at twitch.tv forward slash Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes. Thanks for listening.
And now she can't hear me when I go to say hello anyway, because I love talking to animals in a baby voice. <laughs> I think she was Aww. about to rub up against the microphone. Okay.